With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to the Tennis.com podcast, and here's your host, Ed McGrogan. Hello, friends. Welcome once again to the friendly confines of the Tennis.com podcast uh, here up in um, snowy Connecticut, Ed McGrogan, and um, talking with Steve Tegner. I don't know if the snow has made its way down there yet to New York, um, but we thought it might be, I would hardly consider this an emergency podcast. But I thought Anjali Kerber's loss in the first round, the Australian Open champion Anjali Kerber, it should be said, I thought her first round loss was worth mentioning, and I think it introduces a couple different uh, topics we can go into. But, you know, you saw some of her match today. You just maybe let's just start with that. Yeah. Um, you know, the her opponent, Zhang, she was good, steady, didn't make a lot of mistakes. Um, Kerber started out with a lead but lost um you know lost a close first set and then seemed to just become uh really more and more frustrated more almost you know exasperated almost stopped trying by the end um we've seen that from her in the past this where she just gets too angry to even compete really and you know you might have thought that was something that was past her or maybe you know he's she didn't do that at the Australian Open. She came back in the first round in a sort of similar situation at the Australian Open and then went from there. But, um, you know, people's personalities and on court don't change overnight. And, she, you know, she's 28. We know how she's going to be. She's going to have those days. Um, it is it is disappointing in that here was another player who came up right behind Serena, beat her, came up to number number two in the world, and then in her next match, she goes out to somebody ranked seventy third. You know, we've we've definitely heard this story quite a few times on the women's side in the past few years. Yeah, and um, I, I find it interesting that you mentioned that about Kerber uh, because you know at the magazine we did a a series of of, of stories of uh, one page stories called Learning Froms and Learning from the Pros really, and the one that I thought was you know just re- frankly the most interesting of Anjali Kerber's was. As do, was don't play sarcastic tennis. Kerber has invented what might be called sarcastic tennis, was how you put it. If things don't go her way, she can reach a point where she looks like she's playing despite herself and that the forces are against her, and that certainly sounds like what you're talking about there. Yeah, she didn't have time to get all the way there. In this <laughs> match. She, short, she sort of stopped running a couple times for balls late in the second set. Just, I think, total disgust in, in this case. Um, you know, I think for her, she's somebody who got to the top ten late, and now is when a Grand Slam winner is had won her first Grand Slam late. Maybe there's, you know, if you want to put a, if you want to look at it long term, maybe this is something she just needs to get used to this, this level of, um, 
attention or or this kind of pressure of being the first seed at a pretty big tournament. But like I said before, it's not it's not new as far as as far as other WTA players have been to, in her position in the last few years. Yeah, so I think that that segues into really I think the larger point of this you know of this result because I mean Kerber you know certainly you reach a career or career apex with you know winning a Grand Slam title it's almost I I would think for a lot of players especially a veteran you know I, I, everything else is kind of gravy at this point um, now that might not necessarily be the case with Kerber who has always really. I think embrace the grind to some degree, um, even a you know a bit like Ferrer on the men's side, where um, you you can't really you, you don't really see her uh, really taking things you know, off or for granted at this point. Now, what regardless of that, you know, last week we uh, you know last week in Doha we saw a tournament where incredibly all eight of the women's seeds lost their first round match. Um, Simona Halep and, and Garbina Muguruza were the top two seeds. Uh, it, it went on from there. You know, there's some extenuating circumstances, I think, which I'll let you get into. I guess the larger question I have is, you know, after I saw this Kerber result today, I go on, I, I, I really said that, that you can say what you want about depth and competitiveness for the WTA, but the bottom line is that this just is not a good look for the tour. I mean, do you agree with that, or, or am I going a little overboard there? Well, I think it's a you know it's a fine line. We want we want upsets. We don't want every we don't want total domination from the top players at all times. Maybe you have a little too much of that on the men's side, um, right? But at the same time, you don't want just random results. Anybody losing to anybody in the first round of of an event, you don't want to feel like I think with the women's now, you don't want to feel like. A tournament that Serena isn't in, you know, it doesn't doesn't mean anything. That it just becomes random, and that's that's the extent we got to in Dubai last week with all eight seeds losing, and that's what you were starting to see in Doha with Kerber losing, also Bencic, uh, Belinda Bencic lost her first round match. Um, I think there is, you know, I I like upsets and I like surprises, but I also want there to be a top level. To sort of fight against, you want the upsets to have meaning. Um, I think there's, a, I think there is a lot of depth in the WTA now. A lot of talented players who can beat a top player. I think the thing you're missing and the and the problem, you know, the what's not good about Kerber's loss as well as Halep and Muguruz is you don't have anybody strong right now, right behind Serena. You don't have a group there. You've just got Serena and then everybody else kind of comes up and then goes back down. Yeah, this is actually, uh, I think, one of the big a big takeaway that I saw from you know, your thoughts on this was, you know, we mentioned the name Sharapova and Azarenka, and at various times over the past, really, I I would say for the better part of the past four or five years, uh, these two are have clearly been what you would consider to be either her either Serena's toughest foes or. You know, in the case of Azarenka, I think the air, you know, maybe the successor in some ways, you know, not to the degree that Cher, that Williams has, of course. And, you know, we're not seeing, we're really just, I think, seeing stops and starts more than, you know, sort of a gradual momentum. When I, when I think back to a, a dominant player and 
really kind of looking for someone who was going to supplant them. You know, someone that, that will always come back to mind is really how, how Rafa eventually surpassed Roger. And he did that with really a year, multi-year long campaign of just kind of chipping away one by one at, at his different sort of fortresses. And, uh, you know, eventually, it, it, you know, when when that win happened, you know, it was clear that, okay, this is, you know, this is the direction of the tour now. And, you know, I think we are missing that in, in terms of where the, uh, you know, where the WTA landscape presents itself. It's a very, I think it's a very strange sort of, you know, environment in that way. It's very hard to, it's very hard to, you know, segment and compartmentalize like, like we want to do a little bit. It's just, a, it's not a very structured narrative, I don't think. Yeah, I think, you know, in 2012, 2013, um, Azarenka and Sharapova sort of, for a little while, created a big three with um, with Serena. They were the gold, silver, bronze at the at the Olympics. They, I think, they split the majors um, that year. You know, and for different reasons, Azarenka and Sharapova haven't kept it up. Both both injury related, and I also think knocking on you know knocking on the door with Serena so many times for both of them and not getting through, not getting past her, losing so many times. Um, I think that that's something that that has hurt you know has hurt them and as as has you know how many times can you keep going up you know and 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 losing without having the breakthrough Sharapova is, is ten years now Vika lost a lot of good mat- tough matches to Serena last year um, so in a way you know, so that so that leaves it empty with those two I mean at least they were losing to Serena but they they um were the most consistent challengers and and they did push her even Maria I think brings out Serena's best even though she never really she never beats her so I yeah I think that dynamic is what's missing I don't you know I think there is depth I think there and I think upsets are good but but you know you want you know you don't want something random and you do want to feel like there's a story happening of of other people coming up and and staying there which we haven't had you know other than Pika and Maria, we haven't had that for about ten years, I think. Do you think that you know one thing that we've uh, we've talked about with the success of, and I think this speaks perhaps to the consistency of some of the things we're seeing on the ATP over the years. You know, we're seeing obviously some some all time great players in in Djokovic, Federer, Nadal, but do you think in any way that the structure of you know, particularly the Masters series, uh, Masters 1000s on the men's side, it gives that schedule some some real definitive um, pillars that the players try to center around. I think sort of really plan their schedules around. Now we have that on the WTA with its premier events, but I don't think it's ever been as clearly orchestrated or committed to by everyone. You know, we're really only seeing Serena at Indian Wells in Miami, uh, you know, only recently. It's only this year two Venus will come there. Yeah, do, you, do you think that that has anything to do with some of the, I guess, sporadic results that we see, or, or is it really more just, you know, something else entirely? Well, I do think the Masters helped unify the men's tour. Um, in bef- you know, before... There was the Masters. There was a sort of a clay court tour and a hard court tour and clay court specialists and hard court 
fast court specialists, and they barely ever played. You know, so the famous one is Sampras, and Rios played three times total. Federer and and Djokovic have played, um, you know, forty five times. I think the Masters has unified the tour in in forcing everyone to play on all all surfaces and be good on all surfaces. And the women's, you know, the women's has a smaller number of mandatory events, but yet they seem to. A lot of the players, you know, have recently talked about how they're overextended and they're they have there have been a lot of injuries on the women's side. So in a way, it hasn't. You know, the men's side has worked. That structure has worked much better in in having a defined series of events outside the Grand Slams that everybody knows are important, but yet not overdoing it. Not you know not pushing the players too hard that you know injuries haven't been too bad there whereas the women's it's more of a free-for-all of tournaments you have Dubai and Doha right after each other you have you know you have a lot of events in a row that the, that the women play but yet you still don't have you don't really know which ones I don't think there's a good sense except among hardcore fans of of which are the mandatory right. premier right. mandatory events so so yeah I think you know I don't know what the answer is is there um, definitely the ATP has benefited. I think it's the one, the Masters here has been the one creation of the, of the tour that has really been a success, you know, in the last 20 years, there's no, there's no way around it. And it's, it's helped create this sort of, this strong group of, of male players. Let's take, let's close by looking at really who's left. Uh, you know, it's only Tuesdays we're recording this, but, and as we, are recording this, it should be noted in this discussion that Simona Halep has lost all was has also lost number two seed there to Vesnina qualifier. You know, we know Vesnina certainly is a capable player, but Halep goes down seven six or seven six six four six one, the final two sets to Vesnina. So you kinda have that to chew on as well. It it really just keeps going here. Um I wonder if in looking at this draw, you know, certainly with these things, you, there's always a flip side. As you say, there's always opportunity for someone. Um, you know, we have, we have, um, you know, a couple players that do intrigue a bit is Radwanska after we've, you know, I don't want to discount. I don't want to kind of forget about her after such a strong ending to the, to the year before, um, you know, Certainly, I certainly didn't fall on her face by any means in Australia, but just you know, there's you know, player other players made deeper runs. You know, Rodwanska one to look at. I am curious to see where Jeannie Bouchard takes this year of her. She's actually a wild card in um, this week, and you know, won her first rounder as well. So you know, I I do think there is always we're always going to see that opportunity. Of course, Azarenka is actually in, in Acapulco, so that's. You know, another sort of, I think that's a little bit why I was hitting on, you know, when do we get all the players to come together? We're not going to see Oz ranking against this, you know, presumptively top competition here. But, you know, a couple of those names really still intrigue this week. Yeah, I think, you know, I think the player that at the beginning of the year I was looking for the most, and, you know, maybe it was, maybe it was the wrong thing to do was Muguruza. Unlike Halep, she can really, she's somebody who can really hit with, Serena, somebody you could you could see as a number one player or as a Grand Slam champion. She has she has the power, uh, the size. Halep, Halep, sort of always playing, you know, uphill in a way. Um, so I think that's somebody to look for to come out of this 
come out of her slump that she started this year. She's also in in Doha. Um, but it looks like we, you know, as of now, I chalk up these these two tournaments in this month as as sort of a you know hopefully a one-off and and everybody gets back together in Indian Wells and Miami and and um, you know including the Williams sisters and and maybe you know some sort of some sort of order is restored then. There, yeah, there does seem to be perhaps a bit of renewal that 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 event always signifies, and, and you know, a lot of players certainly could would want to forget about these two months already here. So, um, that's where I think we have to kind of leave things at the moment. I, I'm I am, like I said, a, a bit a bit actually intrigued as to where the rest of this week goes because of this, um, and if if you if any listeners would like to hear thought or read thoughts on. Rafa, his latest loss, um, the ascendancy. I, I would never. St- I'm, I'm going to hold off on maturity, but we're going <laughs> to say the possible first rung. I do like how you put it. The first rung of the ladder was scaled by Nick Kyrgios uh, this past week, and uh, you know things of that on the ATP side. I suggest you go to tennis.com and, and read Steve's piece on that. But we are going to res- we're going to keep this one WTA. Uh, the uh, the Kerber Emergency Podcast is now in the books, and we'll be back uh, next week, uh, or if any other emergency podcasts warrant a recording. So for Steve Tigner, I'm Ed McGrogan. Thank you for listening to the Tennis.com Podcast. You've been enjoying the Tennis.com Podcast. For all the latest news and events, head over to Tennis.com.